0: my pleasure to join with you today on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. And this time of year, we have so many scamsters that use the activity of the Christmas season to try to get in your wallet. And I don't know if you saw the reports in the last couple of days, but Amazon had a really, really, really good Black Friday week, then uh, Cyber Week, that they ended up selling about 20% of online sales in that time period. And so Amazon is really, really strong right now. And that means that you can tell their market strength that they are front and center with a hot scam right now, not Amazon's fault. But just because of how successful Amazon has done, particularly in this last couple of weeks with the Christmas shopping season. So people are getting automated phone calls that say they're from Amazon security. Or they'll say this is Amazon calling. And they're like any other normal automated call that you might get legitimately from a business. But what they say is that there's a pending charge of X number of dollars with Amazon. And so this is a report from Susan Tompor with the Detroit Free Press about how widespread this particular scam is. And so you were supposed to click one, and then somebody comes on the line to talk to you about your uh, pending Amazon charges. And what happens when you do that is that individual who is speaking to you who impersonates an Amazon employee will then try to get a variety of levels of personal information from you. And people tend to click, one, if they are an Amazon Prime member, and then before they know it, they get tricked into revealing Potentially account information. And if they do, then the uh, individual with the fake call will then, within minutes, the criminal ring they're part of, do a bunch of purchases under your Amazon Prime account. They may also try to get things out of you, like your credit card number and things like that. Verifying, say, we have to verify your credit card number or other personal details, including bank account information and then what happens obviously you've given the criminal the ability to steal from you way outside of amazon itself and it's not just amazon you know as i shared with you just recently there's a hot one involving apple where you will receive an automated call pretending to be from apple Uh, apple has Significant market share in the United States, and a lot of people have iCloud accounts, and they'll tell you that there's a compromise with your iCloud account. So, you got to know that when these calls come in, you don't want to punch one. If you hear a call, automated call from any organization claiming there's an issue or a problem, remember what you do. You call them at a number you know is legitimate or sign into your account with that organization independent of doing anything in that phone call, and you'll see if there's any issue with your Amazon account, your iCloud account, or any other account that somebody is using as a pretext to try to steal from you. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns, and Kim, what you starting with?
1: Today, we're starting with Will from Florida. And Will says, what is a HELOC and what are the pros and cons? I'm guessing there might be a lot of cons. Thank you so much for what you and your team do.
0: The HELOCs, uh, it's its a term that really came into prominence mid-2005, 6, 7. It's a home equity line of credit. They had existed for a long time, but the phraseology really became part of uh, lending vocabulary that became fairly common back then. And then HELOCs went silent as a financial instrument from 2008 to about 2016 after we went through the housing bust and then the first stages of the recovery. Now people have enormous equity in their homes. So banks are pushing HELOCs again. A home equity line of credit allows you to tap the portion of your home value that is not mortgaged and there will be limits that a lender may impose how much you can borrow what percent of your home value you can borrow the significant thing with a HELOC is the interest rate floats so you never want to use HELOC money for a long-term borrowing need And you want to be very cautious taking any kind of personal debt, like credit card debt or any personal loan or anything like that, and moving it into a HELOC because now you've taken debt that's only against your name and you've turned it into debt that could cost you your home. So HELOCs are for very short-term needs, and I would say anything Uh, 30 months or less 36 months or less would be a good window for a HELOC and the real purpose of a HELOC should be to do an improvement or repair to your home that that's really the purpose of it not taking other debts and moving them against your home there are rare circumstances when someone will ask me a question about if they should do a HELOC and I will go through all the reasons why not to and then Kind of give them a yellow caution light in their situation. But as a general rule, be careful using this loan product. Joel?
2: Clark Chad in Minnesota says, I'm surprised with how much you love Google that you did not reference Google's Project Sunroof during an episode last week about solar installation. Google's Project Sunroof allows the user to type in their address and see upfront costs, payback period, and savings for their area. By the way, I love your show. Thanks for all that you give given back to your fans.
0: Thank you very much and that was just um, you know after I answered the question about solar I did feel like I didn't do my job and so you've done it for me and Project Sunroof is really a brilliant thing because you can put in an address and most addresses in the country will work and it will tell you whether or not solar is applicable for your home or not and Joel what did you find out when you put in your home address?
2: Google told me that my house might not ever pay back if I put in solar.
0: Right. So it, it's something that is kind of a shot in the dark most of the time because the solar installation companies are pretty much always going to tell you it's going to be great and how quick it'll pay back. So Google's tool will tell you pretty clearly. And I can tell you in general terms, there are certain areas of the country Where the payback from solar, forgetting any state subsidies that might be available, and of course the federal subsidies, that solar will generally have a very good payback. Uh, Florida, as you'd expect, is the sunshine state, but even more, New Mexico, Arizona, a lot of Texas, Southern California, uh, parts of Utah, you're going to have, and Colorado, you're going to have a very, very good payback because of the amount of sunshine that is available to you but if you go to project sunroof's website for uh, most addresses in the u.s which is google.com slash get slash sunroof i'll repeat that one more time google.com slash get slash sunroof you'll be able to see if your home is one that will have a really positive great payback putting in solar kim
1: Rod in Nevada says, my daughter is 20 years old and she's in between cars. She's currently living at home and she's saving every penny to buy a new used car. My question is, should she keep paying car insurance even though she's in between cars?
0: That is a great question. So a lot of auto insurers have an insurance product uh, specifically for a time like that, which my uh, brother who lived um, basically out of a suitcase with his wife for four years, had that is a non-owner's auto policy. Now, not every insurer for autos will do that, but it provides you with an auto insurance policy when you don't currently actively own a vehicle. And then once she gets her new vehicle, then she moves from a, a non Owner policy, obviously, to a traditional owned one. Um, if she's not driving at all right now, uh, then maybe she doesn't even need that. And that's where the insurance company she has can advise her on what their requirements are. If she were to let the policy go dormant for now, would there be a problem for her adding it back once she did have a new vehicle, a new to her used vehicle? Joel?
2: Clark Vinny in Ohio says, uh, Clark, you've mentioned that you want to donate your body to science after you die, but how would one go about arranging this? Do you simply mention it in your will or do you have to establish some paperwork with a, a medical lab that would accept your body? And
0: is it free or does it cost money? So it depends on if it's free or not. Usually it is as an incentive to get you to donate. And the place that's easiest to donate is with a university Uh, base medical system so you know we have these university-based research hospitals and they are the ones that have the greatest interest in having your body donated at the time you pass away and generally you want to contact them in advance and say hey when my time comes and I'm gone I would like to have my body donated to you and and the medical center will tell you what uh, whether they would like to have your body at that time and then if they uh, take care of all final arrangements for you or if you to still pay some kind of fee for that. Um, when my late father died uh, back in the 1980s he uh, wanted his body donated to a research medical center and that's exactly what we did was we followed his wishes and and his remains were donated to the Mayo Clinic.
1: Kim? Jack in Alaska says, Clark had mentioned that high net worth families should have a higher liability coverage. What level of wealth does Clark consider to be high net worth? Is there a formula to determine liability coverage amounts, such as a percentage of net worth, possibly with a ceiling for the very, 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 very rich? Also, should homeowners liability and auto liability coverage be the same?
0: Uh, Thank you. Those are... uh questions that I'm going to give you a general direction. I can't give you hard and fast rules on it. Okay, so number one, it's not so much primarily how much in assets you have, it's how much in uncovered assets you have. What does that mean? So if you have, let's say, a really fancy home where you have it mortgaged to almost the full value of the home and you don't have a lot of other uh, assets that are not Uh, encumbered with debt um, then you don't have a huge need for having a large umbrella policy an excess liability policy on the other hand if you have your home free and clear you have a significant amount of money in savings or investments or whatever and I would say that you start looking at what would be significant as you hit a million dollars and up from there that when you have money that you have worked hard to build up over the years and you don't owe money on those things, that's when you're at greatest exposure. And in terms of liability coverage for homeowners and auto, you want to have similar liability levels for them, but your umbrella that you would buy on top of it, your excess liability, will tell you what you have to have in liability on your auto and homeowners. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeff. Congratulations to you on taking early retirement.
3: Well, Clark, great calling from Alaska. Uh, How many I'm hours of guy. daylight
0: do you have right now?
3: Well, we actually have eighteen hours of moonlight. We had a full moon last night, so wow, it's not dark up here. Okay. <laughs> so, well, anyway, I uh, took an early out retirement package from the airline. And, of course, they gave me a whole bunch of money cashing out vacation pay and and all that sort. This is my highest income year, fortunately. Um, And so I'm seeing a lot of tax, um, federal tax. And I'm thinking it might be possible to gift my four adult children. And I just wanted to see if you might think that's a good idea or maybe you have some other ideas.
0: Now, that will not reduce your tax bill at all, but your adult children will love you for it.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, when you gift, doesn't that reduce the tax bill? I thought it would. Maybe I'm wrong.
0: It does not reduce the tax bill. And so you can gift, without any tax consequences, $15,000 to any other individual in a year, whether they're family or not. But there's no... And you can go beyond that under certain conditions as well, but there's no tax benefit to you and there's no tax negative consequences for your kids to give them money. So the fact that you've made more income this year uh, does not in any way help with the kids. Have you uh, pushed yourself with income this year beyond what you can put in a traditional IRA?
3: Yeah, all, all that stuff has been filled up to the max uh, okay. this year. So this is one yeah. of those
0: times, it's a lucky event that you got pushed into having to pay a ton of tax because you had to make a lot of money to be pushed into a point where you pay a lot of tax. And yes, that's true. You just pay that bill, and if later on you feel really generous, or even this year, as long as you've accounted for what you're going to have to pay in tax... You want to give money to your adult kids because you're so set financially? Go for it. But in terms of a tax angle, there's not one for that. And I hope that you really, really enjoy your life and your six hours, by my calculation based on what you said, six hours of daylight. I mean, I whine about 10 hours of daylight. Six? whoa that would be hard for me it's my pleasure to welcome you here at the clark howard show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com and our clark deals team is doing the best we can to make sure you know what deals are available and here we are december 7th pearl harbor day we're really, really close to Christmas time. And this year, it's much harder than a normal year to get deals these last two weeks before Christmas. But we're working at it, trying to help you find those last minute deals. As uh, I mentioned, it is Pearl Harbor Day, and it is a day of great significance in U.S. history. And it gives me another opportunity to point out how grateful I am to the men and women of the U.S. military who put their lives on the line for our freedom. And we saw in World War II that kicked off for us Pearl Harbor Day how important that sacrifice is to preserve our freedom. So people with federal student loans really got special, special attention from the U.S. Congress in this year of coronavirus. People with federal student loans were eligible in uh, with almost all federal student loans were eligible for a payment holiday that has gone on most of this year and ends December 31st at least it was going to end December 31st and under that payment holiday people who are in uh, loan forgiveness programs, the months of non-payments counted towards that. Interest has not accrued on these federal student loans. And we've been talking about what you were going to face with federal student loans come January 1st. Well, now there's one more month that has been added to the end of January, and it's something the outgoing... Secretary of Education did to give the incoming administration a chance to uh, have an opportunity to do what they want to do at least preliminarily about student loans when the new administration takes over on January 20th 11 days before the extended freeze will be in place so what will happen after that point I don't know but if you are still suffering extreme hardship from your student loans remember something very important and that is if you have a a situation where you're not working right now you've had a great reduction in income you want to study up on the income-based repayment options that may well be available to you this is really key because the income-based repayment programs allow you to in a situation where you're suffering extreme hardship to even be considered to be current when you're not making payments Uh, much like people have not had to make payments this year unconditionally it allows you conditionally based on income to not have to worry about it now something else I want you to know is that this payment holiday is a good time for you to really look through what kind of loans you have the federal student loan program is ridiculously complicated and a lot of circumstances people are in their loans even if they think they're eligible for one of the loan forgiveness programs based on uh, scope of work being in public service work being police officer firefighter teacher whatever uh, you may not be eligible with some of your federal loans or with any of your federal loans and you don't want to in good faith pay on those loans month after month over a 10-year period and then not be eligible for loan forgiveness and you cannot rely on the contractors that the federal government contracts with because they either out of incompetence or out of um evil intent have told people the wrong thing and the Department of Education just shrugs its shoulders and says, oh, well, that's too bad. That's too bad they didn't tell you that this, that, or the other made you not qualify for public service loan forgiveness. Those years as a firefighter, you know, we're just not worried about that. We're not helping you on that. I mean, that's ridiculous. So it's important that you know exactly what kind of loans you have. And if you have private student loans, and I should say, when you figure out what you have, then you can figure out what you need to do to get those loans under the umbrella of public service loan forgiveness. The other thing is private student loans are not part of any of these protections. Each private student loan lender can impose whatever conditions they want to on you pretty much and they have not had to do anything for you in this coronavirus year and generally, even if they allow you some form of payment holiday, interest is still growing on those private student loans. Those private student loans are really a rotten, terrible thing. And as much as you can do to get those private student loans out of your life, pay them off, you want to do. It's time for your questions you posted for me at Clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate, and it's your turn, Joel?
2: That's right, yeah. And Lubna in Missouri says, my husband is 61 and is thinking about possibly getting into training to be a real estate appraiser. I'm reading, though, that the appraiser industry is going to be obsolete in the coming years. So I was wondering what your thoughts are about the industry and its future.
0: There's been a lot of debate about whether the appraisal process will be a completely Um, automated process with artificial intelligence employed and it's unclear yet if that's really how this is going to play and if it does play that way it will be for homes that are pretty predictable homes that are in large developments uh, where there are hundreds of similar homes in a suburban community it will be potentially for condominiums townhomes but there are still a significant number of residential addresses in the United States that the homes are particularly in cities are unique in design and it's very difficult for an algorithm to figure out true market value to do a proper appraisal so I think there will be need for human appraisers even once, artificially, artificial intelligence-based uh, electronic appraisals are widely allowed or used. So it will be potentially a shrinking industry, but it's an industry that will still exist. So I don't know if that helps in trying to decide if that's a viable career path, but this is a process that will unfold over a number of years, not all at once. Kim
1: Kathy in Texas says my position was eliminated recently with a I'm company I, I know with a company I'd been with for 21 years. I have a 401k account with Fidelity and I'm wondering what I should do with it since I can no longer contribute to it.
0: Leave it right there. Uh, Fidelity is one of the nation's largest providers of 401k plans. Is a low-cost provider and they are a good choice for you to remain with there are additional potential protections having a 401k versus moving that money into your own IRA and the cost structure on it should be favorable enough to you that I would leave the money there and I wish you the best in your job search moving forward. Joel.
2: Clark Tim in Colorado says, we are buying a used car this month, but I was wondering if it would be advantageous to wait until after Christmas in order to get a better deal, or should I just start looking now because it doesn't really matter?
0: This is a year that defies any uh, holiday patterning. So, And as I've shared in uh, several different situations since summer, there's been a shortage of vehicles that Uh, Thank goodness it's just starting to ease some, but used vehicle prices have been uh, above normal levels. But I don't think there's any specific reason to choose buying like right after Christmas versus buying now or anything like that. The uh, supply-demand balance on used vehicles will be significantly improved at some point next year, probably by springtime. But we're not talking about a choice between now and springtime. We're talking about a choice between now and right after Christmas. So I'd say when you find the vehicle you want, you want to have it checked out by a mechanic of your choosing, you should be good. And remember this, Consumer Reports does the most thorough research on which used vehicles have proven to be the most reliable. And I would start with their information. If you're not a subscriber by temporary access to that information as you look for a used vehicle kim
1: this is from dara in maryland and very well timed for pearl harbor day she says i was listening to the podcast on my commute to work maybe a couple of weeks ago and i thought i heard clark mention that he serves as a military reserve or guard member did i hear that right if so could clark tell us more about his commitment what branch, pros cons I'm considering joining the Air National Guard as a part-time reserve member, but I'd love to hear more from someone I respect first.
0: Well, first of all, thank you for what you're considering doing by joining the Air National Guard. So I am in, uh, well, I should go back. 19 years ago, after the terrorist attacks, uh, September 1101, I was looking for a way to serve. And at that point, I was too old to be a suitable candidate for the National Guard. And so I found out uh, through someone who was a former Marine that there was a thing around the country in about half the nation states called a State Guard. So the State Guard works in concert with the National Guard. In fact, Uh, When I'm on drill, our office is embedded inside the National Guard office that I'm part of a unit of. I'm in um, the public affairs office, which is where you'd put me, right? And so I have served in my state guard for all these years. And you can learn information about whether or not there is a state guard in your state if you later decide not to join the uh, air guard. So the difference with a state guard is it's all volunteer. Some states, you have to have prior military service. Others, you can enlist and go through an initial enlistment training, kind of like boot camp light. If you are coming in as someone who's just been a civilian versus having prior military and you go to drill once a month, annual training once a year, and you're called up on missions, as needed Uh, our state guard uh, was on duty for 140 some odd straight days involved with coronavirus relief being involved in cleaning nursing homes and assisted living facilities being part of running testing centers and being part of uh, hybrid government private food donation systems or food bank pickup points and so it's something that I've been proud to serve for these 19 years. Um, I mean, I'm in my uh, soon to be in my 20th year of service. And you can learn more about it if you go to Clark.com. We have a thing about serving in a state guard. But if you um, if you want to go in the Air Guard, that would be fantastic. And serving in the U.S. military in whatever capacity you can
4: Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Stephen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you, Stephen?
3: I'm well, Clark. Thank you. I'm an avid listener, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I'm going say that right off the front.
0: Well, you were kind to say that, and uh, I appreciate that you enjoy what we do, and I understand that you are finding that you have less money each month than you'd like to have because of what adult
3: kids are costing, or near-adult kids. (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't include the refrigerator bill. But uh, (laughs) I'm I'm married, and I've got uh, two adult uh, boys, uh, 21 and 18. And uh, my employer pays my health insurance, but adding my family on costs me over $1,200 a month. Uh, And so I was just hoping, there's uh, thinking about there's some other possible way that I should think about insuring them, um, other than just having twelve hundred bucks a month come out of my paycheck. Sure. Um, is you know I was thinking about even insuring them separately and paying it still, or I don't know. I just thought I'd you'd have some good options, maybe.
0: I mean that's a lot of money. That's uh, almost fifteen grand a year you're paying in health premiums, with you a hundred percent covered, but then your wife and the two boys are covered by the plan. So what does it cost? if you drop the two boys from the plan and just insure you and your wife
3: it's about a six hundred dollars about half of that so it's
0: so we're talking 600 a month 300 a boy to insure them and so 3600 a year i know that per per son i know this is weird but you're probably better off taking that hit and continuing to do 1200 a month instead of 600 a month. Because you could go shop on the healthcare exchange for each of them. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Healthcare.gov? i uh-huh. I've heard of it, but I haven't
3: really so looked around So you can it.
0: go there for each of your kids, and they're your dependents still, right? You provide Correct. more than half of their support? Correct. So, both in college. So you can put both of them into the healthcare.gov system individually and see what it would cost to insure them that way and I think you're going to find that it's cheaper for you to include them as expensive as it is on your health plan versus not. Now there is an alternative with both of them in college. They may be able to buy a health plan from their college that you pay by semester for those plans and they will almost certainly be cheaper but the coverage will not be nearly as thorough as what you have in your employer-based health coverage hmm, interesting
3: so i've never heard of that other that, in there. i'll certainly look into that
0: yeah so most colleges do offer a student health plan and it would just be a matter of looking to see what's offered for them each at the schools they attend And maybe that would be a cheaper alternative. But again, remember, the coverage is not as good. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.